Welcome to Nerds at the Round Table, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. And I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And on this episode, I'm Captain Smugface this week because I picked <laughs> the Fellowship of the Ring. Woohoo! <laughs> I was so proud with myself. All four hours of watching both of those discs of the special edition, man, I was so proud. <laughs> yep. Did my, did, my, did my guys a favor. Yeah, this was a joy to revisit. I had, uh, it had been a while. It had been a while since I had watched any of the Lord of the Rings movies, and I forgot how fun this thing was. I forgot how true to Tolkien's heart. But, guys, I think there's something we need to get out of the way before we continue on our journey. We gotta keep it 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. And Sammy's hanging back again. Sorry, Sammy. (laughs) 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 All right, I get to go first, and I, of course, don't have my timer up. My bad, guys. This is not professional podcasting. I apologize. When were we professional? I I have pretensions. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, that just gives me a minute to get my timer ready. (laughs) All right, here we go. Okay, so this week I'm pitching the podcast called Marvels. And it is an official Marvel podcast called Marvels. It's not very creative. But it is a dramatized audio uh, adaptation of the famous Alex Ross series. And But it is a very different story than the graphic novel. In this version, there's a controversy about the Galactus attack. The Fantastic Four are accused of faking the whole thing for conspiracy theory reasons. And then there's a new mutant angle involved. Um, it's a very interesting addition. It's played very well. Um, some twists and turns. It's a it's a pretty cool mystery story. Um, the voice actors are really good, um, surprisingly. Uh, Method Man plays Ben Urich. <laughs> and it works. He's so good as Ben Urich. I did, when I, when I heard like the credits him announcing, and this Cliff, Method Man Smith, as Ben Urich, I'm like, this is going to be a thing. <laughs> but, but he's really good. I, I, I didn't expect the, the character he's playing. I, I just, I didn't, it's not how I imagined Method Man, you know? Um, but, Another nice little bonus about it, it's finished. It, it was the whole season is finished. The whole storyline is done. It, once you start playing the episodes, you can listen to the whole thing. It's not a big wait. You can get it all in. So my Keeping 100 this week is Marvels. Sweet. You know, I, I definitely have to check that out. You know, Marvels is my first introduction to Alex Ross. Um, you know, I didn't really get into a lot of his art when he was doing like Terminator burning earth and that kind of stuff but uh marvel's definitely caught my attention so i'll have to check that one out I'll yeah it's it. uh it's got the feel of the alex ross series but mm-hmm. it's a different story but cool. it's but it's about but it's phil sheldon it's the daily uh planet not planet, bugle whatever whichever <laughs> newspaper it is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, but it, it's but it, it, it's got the same vibe but it's it's just it's a mystery story and it's cool. it's fun yeah all I right like doing all righty. Well, this week I am pitching a movie. Uh, this was an odd week. Absolutely craziness uh, at the house at work. <clears throat> but for some reason, I suffer from insomnia from time to time. So I got to watch another very interesting movie from near the period that the fellowship came out from the year 2000, directed by the Coen brothers, based on Homer's The Odyssey. Oh, brother, we're <laughs> Uh, you take the Odyssey, set it in Depression-era middle America, 
cast George Clooney, and I think the role he was born to play. It's one of the few he was he's been good in that I recall. Uh, John Turturro, Tim Blake Nelson, John Goodman, Holly Hunter. I mean, just an all sort cast. Stephen Root is in this thing. <laughs> um, the music. I mean, you bring up this, uh, you know, rootsy southern bluegrassy music. Uh, it, it's such a fun romp. It's such a fun romp. The adventures these guys go on, the absurdity of the characters, the insanity that happens. Uh, I, I, I'd forgotten again, you know, just how great of a movie this was. But, oh, brother, where art thou? Nice. <laughs> you know, what's so funny with that movie is, you know, Man of Constant Sorrow has been around for ever and a day mm-hmm. and it was like that movie brought it back into the limelight and everybody knew at least some lyrics from it because of oh brother where art thou yeah uh, you know that movie really shoved this you know roots music into the national zeitgeist in a big huge way and i'm so glad you know that a lot of these recording artists and songwriters and this view of america got uh, you know, uh, resurgence and some real attention at that time. If we ever do a review of that, we have to get Sam on. My, my brother's Sam. Okay. Does he I have there, thoughts? There was, I think there was a point in our life he could have done the entire movie from memory. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Sammy. Never trust a hog wallet. <laughs> <laughs> well, Unfortunately, none of us need Dapper Dan, but all right. (laughs) (laughs) Better not be in my stocking this year. (laughs) All right. So for my Keep It 100 this week, it's kind of a follow-up on a previous entry. I know I've mentioned before how much I love the podcast David Tennant does a podcast with. Now the show is in its second season. And I've been listening weekly as Tennant has interviewed Jim Parsons, George Takei, Judy Dench, Brian Cox. But the Monday, October 12th release has been my favorite. David Tennant interviews Neil Gaiman. So just to hear Gaiman discuss his writing from Sandman, my, my introduction to his work, to his work with Terry Pratchett on, with Good Omens, to writing even for Doctor Who. So it was just so good and so awesome to hear him and Tennant talk about this stuff. Uh, Gaiman is one of my favorite writers. Tennant is one of my favorite doctors. So it was just an absolute delight to have both of these gentlemen on a podcast with doing dialogue between each other. And that is why David Tennant does a podcast with episode 10 is my keeping it 100. <laughs> That's a lot of ner- nerdy uh, British Isles all in one location. <laughs> yeah. I love it, Neil Gaiman, though, and especially if you can hear him talking about his work. He has such a, a beautiful narrative, uh, you know, coming from his person uh, about his works. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, he, he grew up loving language and loving the the idea of of religions and all the different belief systems and if you look at his work from sandman to american gods to 
so much. I mean, even Norse mythology, when he redid the Norse mythology uh, book, you know, it just you can just tell his, his love for that and the way he weaves that into his writing, I think. Well, speaking of another writer who loved language, and this story st- stems from the creation of a couple languages. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien gave us a masterpiece with The Hobbit, followed up with an epic modern classic, The Lord of the Rings, broken into the three parts, Fellowship of the Ring being the first one. Fellas, I'm leading off with opening thoughts and grades. I'm not even going to... I'm not even going to beat around the bush. I'm not even going to going to going to pretend. This is an A plus. This is an A plus movie, uh, A plus story. I think that Peter Jackson, at this time period, had enough respect and an in depth enough view to get people for set design, for art direction, actors story development to really take the heart of Tolkien's book and bring it to the screen. Now it's not a page for page adaptation. We lose Tom Bombadil's quotes are shuffled around different things happen, but I I think this is really true to the heart of Tolkien and what he was trying to tell in this, in in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you know, and, and the characters just inhabited these roles so well. So it's a plus. Awesome. I would I, I would use a different word for uh, the Tom Bombadil section didn't cut out. <laughs> I, I, I know people have feelings about Tom, uh, and you know things play out differently on page than they do on screen. So I don't know how well it played out. So it's not probably a terrible loss. But uh, I love kind of the retcon uh, that one of the writers. I think it was. Um, Philippa Bowen uh, had said, you know, when she was asked about, you know, not having Tom Bombadil in there, she said, well, you know, maybe, you know, it's just a different part of the journey that we didn't show. We can't show everything. You know, maybe, maybe they did pass through the wood. You know, who knows? Yeah, I, I've heard that excuse. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think you need to make excuses. I think it was wise not to make the Tom Bombadil. Yeah, it was, it was wise not to put Tom in there. He's still a, a neat character, very interesting uh, Tolkienish character. Yes, so. very much so. All right, so as far as myself with this movie, and I think I've discussed this on the podcast before. You know, my introduction to Tolkien was the 1977 Rankin and Bass animated Hobbit. And that was that was my first introduction. Um, and that's really all I knew about it until this movie. This movie was the one that spurred me to dive headfirst in the Middle Earth and read Tolkien's work finally. So, I mean, I've always said I'm, new, I'm a little newer to this than many people. But the thing is, I've never looked back. Um, I revisit these books, these movies, almost yearly. I actually just finished a reread on um, Fellowship. I wanted to reread it because I knew it was coming up, and I wanted to get that fresh in my mind. Um, I was ex- so excited when when Captain Smugface pitched this movie uh, for, for our lineup. I was excited. I could wait to talk about this. Uh, I'm with Dwayne, A+. <laughs> 
Well, the first, my first comment is the universe owes you an apology. <laughs> the Rankin and Bass comment <laughs> was the first exposure to Tolkien. Yes, it was. Yeah. As, as you famously say, Jamie, choices were made. Uh, the, 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 the Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, because uh, those were released as a trilogy, but instead of doing Fellowship Two Towers and King, they did The Hobbit. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings and Return of the King. And then Return of the King, yes. (laughs) Decisions were made. Um, So, no no suspense, guys. A plus. Uh, I mean, if Sammy had went B plus this time, man, (laughs) we'd have had words. It would have been so good. We were social distancing. (laughs) It would have been a very anti-social closing of the distance. I think we would have went and got in the car and took a drive. <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm the almost exact opposite of, of Sammy when it comes to Tolkien. Um, I, I grew up with Tolkien. Um, I was a very sickly child, and it was pretty much I had to stay inside with my books and be sheltered from the outside world. <laughs> and and Dune and the Tolkien books were my, I mean, were my constant companions. Um, and I was. As a kid growing up, I believed there was zero chance there would ever be a Lord of the Rings movie. I just could not imagine it ever being made. Um, but little little kid Jamie would have been stunned by this movie. Um, they they absolutely pulled it off. Um, it feels faithful to the book. It's not a you know word for word you know you know taking one page of the book and making it a page of the script type deal. Um, but it's, it's very, but the, all the decisions that were made to adapt it from book to movie were the right decisions in this movie. Um, we're not reviewing return of the King. <laughs> <laughs> I've got more reservations about that comment when it comes to the last. Movie. Just, yeah. Um, but for this movie in particular, every decision they made was the right decision. 100%. I love this movie. Um, and I'm so glad it goes into the ring of honor. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. It's it, a very, or or very the, the one ring of honor, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love this story. And if you guys ever get a chance to view the special editions with all of the bonus materials, when they're talking about starting to develop this movie, they, they, they're, you know, they're trying to put the, the crew together, trying to put the team together. And they, and they go after these two talking, artists who've been you know around for years and and one of the guys is pretty reclusive he's pretty secluded out in the countryside and they're talking about tracking the delivery van as it took a copy of the screenplay to his door and you know (laughs) calling the driver calling dispatch it's dropped off he signed it and then waiting for the phone call after he read the script you know (laughs) And uh, you know, if if he would call, it's so interesting and, and so uh, so fun how how this thing came together. You know, I'm amazed that any movie in Hollywood gets made when you see all the names tied to it and the and the trails that it has to go through. But for for this thing to be made and to made to be made into three um, you know to three movies because I know Peter Jackson was pitching it as two at one point. Everybody was turning him down until he went to New Line New, and New Line said. Why are we doing two movies? And he thought, oh, great, they're going to buy it, but they're only going to want me to do one movie. And, and the, the president said, you know, there's, there's three books, aren't there? Should be three movies, and which was the absolute right decision. 
100%. Yep. Well, let's head to Isengard down in those lava pits and maybe see if we can find a fan to cool things down. Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. All right. So I guess we're, we're back at this. And I'm leading off this week with Fan. And, you know, all the way around, we, we've all already gushed over this movie. And I just have to add a little bit more. This movie is beautiful to look at. Uh, that is one of my biggest fans. From the scenery to the costumes, th- this series, dis- despite the other two having maybe a few issues here and there, really, to me, captures Middle Earth. This feels like an Alan Lee painting come to life. Um, you know, the lush nature of the Shire, the beautiful organic architecture of Rivendell, uh, the cold, harsh lines of Mordor, you know, all of that just comes together to make such an amazing movie. This is what a big budget fantasy epic should look like. And Jackson delivers, you know, Tolkien on the screen. So, you know, that is my fan. Just this movie is beautiful. Um, mine is similar to that, um, but it's not just in the look of the movie. Um, my, my fan this week is the is the fact the way they were able to balance out and really nail both the intimate and the epic uh, in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need you need both, and they absolutely nail the balance. They've got the small personal character moments and the big, huge, sweeping epic uh, moments. You think of the conversation between Gandalf and Frodo and Bag End. That's just two dudes chatting. But it's absolutely intense. It's powerful. It's gripping. Um, and then there's everything that happens in the minds of Moria. I mean, epic on a grand scale. I mean, the Belrog fight with Gandalf. I mean, the millions of goblins <laughs> around the Fellowship. <laughs> I mean, and they nail it all. I mean, and, and, you've, and I, don't, I don't think it, it, it's not special. It's not great. If you don't have both, I mean, if, if there's, if you, I mean, it fails really if you don't have both of those things. Um, if the small moments don't work, you've just got a big empty spectacle. Um, and if the big moments don't work, then the movie's just going to feel inconsequential. It's going to feel like a very small story. And this this story needs both of those things to work, and th- both fly with you know just amazing big huge flying colors, fireworks going off like like the like Bilbo's party. It's great. Mm-hmm. Well, since uh, Sammy tucked mine, I had to reshuffle. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this movie is gorgeous. You know, like you said, from the design to the locations, the sets, uh, the world building. I mean, this could not have been done better. And you you need that, Jamie, for the epicness, for the largeness. You need the the sets to look a certain way. You need the the, the outfits, the, the clothing to fit a certain way, to look a certain way, to know where you are and what this is. But I'll tell you, uh, to get those personal moments, I'm going to give a, a big shout out to the actors. The casting of this thing. Ian Holm as Bilbo. Ian McKellen as Gandalf. Uh, Elijah Wood. Dominique Monaghan. Billy Boyd. Sean Astin. Vigo Mortensen, who was a late casting. 
um, as Aragorn. You know, had they'd already started shooting. In. Yeah, they'd already started shooting. He had to come in and learn that sword. He had to learn horse riding. He had to learn all of this stuff, and he became our king. Uh, you know, in in truth, uh, the the Maori uh, guys who were the orcs and the goblins, the warriors, as they would do the chanting. I mean, how perfect is John Rhys Davies as an elf? You know, you have Orlando Bloom. I mean, a dwarf. Yeah, I'm sorry. You have Orlando, <laughs> Orlando Bloom as the uh, as the elf. Uh, you know, Hugo Weaving as this ancient wise leader. Kate uh, Blanchett's beautiful Galadriel. I mean, this thing could not have been cast better. You know, and that's that's just where I'm going to go. You know, the, the cast for this thing is is stratospheric in nature. They're so great. Yeah, I'm making a face, Jamie. I see that face. No, <laughs> I'm making my that my dog. My dogs are howling. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I was, the, this is like the wards from the Hobbit at the moment outside. Um, <laughs> Can I can I jump in and say what I thought yours was going to be, Dwayne? What's that? I was one hundred and ten percent sure you were going to call out the score. Yeah, um, how, how I had score. I had forgotten how beautiful the score is in this movie, and I I figured you as the you know the resident music man would call it out. Well, that the score is coming up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and maybe not where you might think it. Might oh be. no. Okay. Uh, but you know, uh, as uh, Sam. Uh, brings a frying pan to a sword fight. Let's go grab our pans, guys. Okay, now I'm afraid rather the direction this is going. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, my my pan is it's a it's a small thing, but it's a thing that bugs me. Um, it's the change from the book to the movie about Boromir's death scene. It's the only thing that's not pitch perfect for me. Um, they, I, I get why they changed it. They, they, they knew they were making the big storyline of their movie. One of the big ones was Aragorn's hero's journey. Because mm-hmm. if you remember from the book, Aragorn, there's no doubt. I mean, there, there's no hesitation. I'm going to be the king of Gondor. Just give me a minute. <laughs> Just <laughs> hold on. I mean, there's no the hesitation that it, they gave him in the movie is different. And so I think they changed Boromir's death scene. To, to, to make that, that sort of a turning point for Aragorn. Whereas in the book, it's clearly Boromir's moment. It's his redemption moment for trying to take the ring from Frodo. Right. And because they made that a scene more about Aragorn, I think it, it steals the redemption from Boromir. And he never completely gets redeemed. And it makes it Aragorn's moment and not Boromir's moment. And I would like, mm-hmm. I really liked that scene for Boromir. That redemption, that hero, you know, heroic, you know, return to heroism, the return to, to being on the right side after, after his terrible moment you know, with, with Frodo. And so I, I feel like it kind of steals that. I, like I said, I get why they did it, but I, I don't like that for Boromir. Um, and so it's just, it's a, it's a, it's the one little thing that's not pitch perfect for me. All right, Dwayne, okay. uh, go ahead and ruin my expectations. No, actually, uh, <laughs> mine, mine is very similar to, to yours. My pain is very similar to yours. It has to do with Aragorn. Um, and I remember in the book, there was this large build around Aragorn. It seems to me in the book that the scenes in the in the prancing, not the prancing pony, uh, 
when they're in the town where they're supposed to meet Gandalf and he's not mm-hmm. there. And Bray. Bray, yeah, it's Village Strider, of Bray. Strider is there. And is he good? Is he bad? Is he here to help? Is he here to take the ring himself? You know, uh, I, I wish there would they would have played a little bit more with that in the movie and made Aragorn's character a little more ambiguous at first, and then and then bring his redemption. It's uh, already that's, a four-hour movie, though. <laughs> well, I, I, that, 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 I mean, he was just always, like you said, it was just always the king. He was always the, you know, yeah. just just right there. Where in the book, I felt like that was drawn out yeah. a lot, a lot better. Right. And I think it would have made for different tensions. I think it would have made for different uh, relationships, uh, you know, going along. As what what are you guys doing? We're having second breakfast. We're having breakfast. We've had breakfast already. You know, what about second breakfast? Does he, does he know about second breakfast? You know, and, uh, <laughs> you know his his interactions there. You know, he could have been a little bit more ambiguous as to whether yeah. he was leading them along the right path or not. Or things going south. You know, or are they on the right path? Uh, I think that would have added a little bit of a different tension on the road to Rivendell. Mm-hmm. I think they tried to hit that note because they had Sam be reluctant to trust Strider for a long while. I think they tried to hit that note because there's a big scene with Butterbur, uh, Barlaman Butterbur. Butterbur Mm -hmm. I don't have you say that guy's name. Uh, (laughs) You know, when you read a name and you read a word, you don't pronounce it. You can't pronounce it. But but there's that big scene in the Prancing Pony where everybody's doubting him. Like, you know, the innkeeper's telling him, don't trust him. Yeah. So I think they had Sam be reluctant to try to hit that little element, but it, it doesn't work the same way. It, it, I don't it, think it, it quite works. Yeah, it didn't yeah. land as well. Yeah, yeah, Sam? and 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 even you know they played off the idea when when Frodo said what well, something to the effect that uh, a servant of the enemy would look fairer, you know, and, and smell foul, fouler or something to that effect, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Sam's reticence to accept uh, Strider at that point. You know, it was, I think, what they were trying to lead into. All right. Um, you know, Pan, Pan was something I had a tough time with on this because I just do love the movie so much. And then I started thinking about, you know, well, why do I love this movie? Well, I've read the books now. I've read them a few times. I've seen the movies. I've become a fan. But I have to wonder do you run the risk of alienating certain moviegoers by starting with the Lord of the Rings and not the Hobbit? There is so much precursor that they just pepper in a little bit. Who is Bilbo and Thorin, right? Why should I be excited that Gimli is the son of Gloin? You know, or, or even who's Balin and, and why should I be upset that, that Gimli's upset? You know, why is Gandalf a disturber of the peace in the Shire? You know, these are things that mm-hmm. they 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 feather in from the Hobbit, but I wonder if if maybe you know I was okay with it because I got the references. You know, all of us probably got the references, but could we alienate moviegoers by going straight to Lord of the Rings? You know, and you know, I guess that's my pan is I don't know if it considered everybody who would watch the movie. I think that's a, that's a very valid point, Sam. Uh, they they dodged a lot of that by giving Kate Blanchett a very masterful bit of dialogue at the beginning 
you know, laying out the 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 journey mm-hmm. of the rings, laying out the the journey of the you know um, Isildur's bane, you know, Narsul, the sword, um, and how they all tied in and seeing Elrond at that battle. But you know, it's neat because these are kind of the first little Easter eggs we start to see in in these kind of movies, uh, these big epics because. Oh, I know a secret that not everybody in here knows, and that kind of gives us nerds a little bit of smug face, you know, <laughs> sitting there in the theater. You know, it's it's still a great movie. I've, right. I've, I've sat with people who've never watched the books or who never watched the books, who've never read the books, and, and still love these movies. But I know the deal with Balin. I know the deal with you know the uh, Gandalf being labeled a disturber. Because you know I, I've read the books, I've, I, I knew the Hobbit right. going in, and uh, I think that the thing that was great about these is it came at a time when those Easter eggs were still what they were. They were they were hidden things. They were special things, just for a certain few. And it wasn't like. You know, I know nowadays with the movie, it's like you have to have watched all twenty of the Marvel movies. To understand what's happening in Thor Ragnarok, you know. <laughs> Why is Hulk there with the Quinjet, you know? How did that happen? What's the importance <laughs> of Why, what's, What the heck is Hulk doing with the Quinjet? Why is he on this weird garbage dump planet, you know? <laughs> you know why is, you know, why is Thor naming them the Revengers, you know? Uh, why is Loki trying to be you know, <laughs> coy about knowing Thor. You know, it, it, it's like, oh, what, you know, it's kind of important to the story now, which, which here it was laid out just such a, an epic way. You know, those little bits peppered through there for the, for the people who knew, but it enriched the story and made the world even bigger for those who didn't know. Yeah, I don't think it took away from the story, but sometimes I, I try to step away from the the geek hat that that I wear and try to think of it from from the other side, you know, because I guess a lot of times, you know, we've talked, you know, Kendra is not this is not her realm. The thing she knows is because over the years with me, you know, she's learned things. But we would see a movie like this and she'd be like, what are they talking about? Who's that? <laughs> you know, and and sometimes I think some people can get pulled out of a movie when they have to stop and ask those questions. Don't say it was awful. But I yeah, think there are other it. viewers who would hear, see those things and get interested. Maybe go look it up and go, go exactly. read the book. Go look so it up. It and yeah, and I think that was an awesome ways. thing that, that this accomplished. You know, it, it, it grew that interest. But I'll never forget the story when me and my wife went and watched, uh, you know, um, what was it? Uh, the Force Awakens. And, you know, I had always, you know, me and Mr. Star Wars, I had always said, oh, this guy's this guy, this is how they're connected, and this is this, and that's that, and this is where this comes from, and these guys have been around a thousand years, and da 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 You know, and I would tell all this stuff, and she'd be like, okay, whatever. So we sit down to The Force Awakens in the movie theater for the first time ever. You know, uh, Max von Sydow comes out on screen, she, and, and she leans over and says, okay, who's that? I said, I have no idea. She said, okay, I'm in. You know? <laughs> You know, she could she could take it on the ground level. <laughs> yeah. All right, fellas. We um we've you know nitpicked a little bit there. Um it's time to give out some awards though. Testing, testing. 
here we go. <laughs> All right, first out of the gate is best performance. Dwayne, who you got? There are so many options. Oh, there are so oh, many. Oh, gosh. I really, there are no wrong answers. Nope. I really uh, took about eight and a half seconds to think about this. But uh, I believe the best performance goes to Viggo Mortensen in this movie as Aragorn. He plays this ranger. He's world-wise, he's wily, he knows his way around, but he has such authority and control, and he's so tough. He, you know, and if you know, like I said earlier, you know, if you know Vigo had come in late to casting, and he had to fit in with his crew already established, you know, the Hobbits, uh, you know, th- they essentially lived together. They had to learn all of these movements and all of this stuff, all these rehearsals. And he has to come in and fit into this group and in all intents and purposes, become their leader uh, for the, for the majority of this movie. Uh, and it's something he done masterfully. I have immense respect for the man. And if you watch again, those special features, when he got the call, he said, you're filming what? <laughs> and he had never read the books. He was not familiar with the stories. He didn't know what a thing they was. And his son said, Dad, you have to <laughs> do this. <laughs> so we have Viggo Mortensen's son to thank for his, his role in this. All right, um, I'll, I'll go ahead and jump in. Um, I I did not make up my mind as fast as you did. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've been struggling. Um, I'm going to go with Kate Blanchett. Um, she didn't have a whole bunch of screen time, but every time she was on screen, you couldn't take your eyes off of her. Um, and even when her face isn't on screen, you think about that what 15 minute mm-hmm. monologue she does at the beginning where she's describing mm-hmm. the entire history of Middle Earth or whatever, trying to get you caught up to speed. And yep. those kind of big introductions, they can go sideways. Um, and and if that's if if that goes wrong, I mean it's going to be hard to get into the rest of the movie. And because of how good that vocal performance is, just the pure audio of her voice over all that stuff, it makes it work. And it, it it's just, it's, it, there's tension there and it's just, it pulls you in. Mm-hmm. And, and, and especially her scenes in um, Lothlorien with Frodo are just amazing. They're powerful. Um, so like I said, she doesn't have the biggest role, but when she's on screen, she's, you know, she's got it turned up to 11. It's perfect. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so we've had the Lady Galadriel. We've had Elessir, and 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 now I'm going to throw Sir Ian McKellen as Gandalf into our mix. You know, there are just certain characters of fiction or in a movie that have to work, or it's all lost. And I think Gandalf's one of them for this story. And Ian McKellen just comes to this with such a perfect acting pedigree to bring this character to life. His tonality, his delivery, his mix of humor and intensity just works so well 
and it's to the point now, every time I read the books, I hear his voice now is just how much I just connect him to this character. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, Sir Ian McKellen as Gandalf the Grey. I, I, I think those are the right three answers. I thought really hard about Christopher Lee, though. He's so good as Saruman. He is, and, and he, he doesn't get a ton of time in this one. Yeah. I, I think Two Towers, he gets a little bit more time. Unfortunately, maybe it's not as strong a movie, but but yeah, but Christopher Lee was fantastic as, as Saruman. Yeah. I mean, and really, like you said earlier, there's really no wrong answer. You can mention any of the cast. I mean, Elijah Wood as Fred is perfect. Ian Holm, perfect. I mean, Hugo Weaving is Elrod, perfect. Yeah. Sam, yeah. why don't you bring us up on next award? All right. So our next award is Best Scene. And I'm going to pick off where I left off with my um, performance. And the best scene for me is Gandalf facing down the Balrog on the bridge of Khazad-dûm. All right. Now there's another award later. This could also went with that. I, I I had I had to 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 spread this out. Okay, this is such an iconic scene, and the way it was filmed, the way it was done, is just so dramatic. You know, when the Balrog reaches its full height and the wings are extended and the flame gets larger, and there's our fearless wizard stating emphatically, "You shall not pass." I mean. Oh, it's a great scene. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that may come up again shortly. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to go piggyback off of my best performance as well. Um, for me, it's um, you probably gave the right answer, but I wanted to highlight something else. Um, but it's, it's the scene near the fountain with Galadriel and Frodo. Um, it's just such, I mean, uh, next, next to the fight with the Balrog. It's this scene that I most can't take my eyes off of. Um, it's, it's visually compelling. Kate Blanchett's performance is just pitch perfect. And the, the vision and the fountain, the whole thing, that scene is just so powerful. And it gets to the heart of what Frodo's about, too. For him, it's about, you know, what he's truly scared of is his world, his shire being destroyed. That's the thing that really, truly horrifies him. It's all this horror coming back home. Um, and so, and it was also a little nod to something they were never going to film. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I just, I, lo- I love that scene. Yeah. And, and it, it's such a subtle scene. Yeah. She shares that she is a ring bearer also. She understands kind of what he's going through. So, yeah. Yeah. Both of those are absolutely great. But I, I love a scene that is taken straight from the book. And if you look at the title of the scene in the movie, how it was written, and the title of the chapter in the book, A Shortcut to Mushrooms. <laughs> um, kind of kind of from there when they tumble, when they you know, when they when they're stealing Farmer Maggard's crops and they and they roll down the hill, they land on the they, they land on the mushroom. You, oh, I think I've broken something. It's his carrot. Uh, <laughs> you know, until the the they escape the wraiths at Buckleberry Ferry. You know the uh, the the hiding underneath the tree, the the insects coming out from the evilness <laughs> of the of the wraiths. You know, even nature withdraws. You know, from from this wickedness, 
um, the the tension there as Frodo's nearing putting on the ring. Um, that is so great, and they and the chase through the night. They they get on the ferry, and they and they, they go across the Brandywine. Uh, that scene is so beautiful to me that it's so true to the story and so much art. Yeah. And you know, the great part of that, that scene I love is the way that the ring wraith moves is the way it's described in the book. You know, that almost that smooth, almost like a slink, almost animal like as it comes across real cat or serpenty. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I love the movement of the wraith in that scene. So, well, our next award is Best Character, and this is another one I really struggled with. <laughs> uh, I had, I, I'm, I'm not being very articulate this week because I don't know how to talk about this, this story or this movie. I just, I get all befuddled. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm going to go with Gandalf. Um, I love the guy, and this is, I mean, especially when was the. Like on the mountain, his reluctance, like he doesn't want to go to Moria. He knows things. He's not telling everybody, you know, he knows what's down there, what they awakened in the deeps. But it's that moment on the bridge. I mean, you know, the, what's down there is, you know, it, it, this thing is beyond us. But he still stops on the bridge. It's that moment of this just kind of heroic sacrifice that always gets me weepy. I tried to, mm-hmm. I watched this with my youngest kid and I tried to keep my head turned a little bit away at certain scenes so she couldn't see I was crying. But <laughs> but that, that moment on the bridge, he knows he can't beat the Belrog. And he still stays so the ring can move on. So his friends, so the company that he was in charge of protecting and leading can survive and go on. And he sacrifices himself. Um, it's just powerful. And I love um, characters that do that. But Gandalf, you've already fallen in love with the dude. Mm-hmm. And to see him... And with all of his power and all of his goodness, sacrifice himself like that, it's just such a powerful moment. Um, and it makes you love that character so much. Yeah. Yeah, that is a completely phenomenal uh, scene and sacrifice. Great character, Gandalf. I love his explanation of that in The Two Towers. We fell forever. Ever I smote him, ever or ever he smote me, ever I hewed him. You know, as as he battles the Balrog on the way down, so epic and great. But you know, I really, truly also struggled with what character because you know there's so many archetypical characters, but they all are so human. No matter that they're a dwarf, no matter that they're an elf, no matter that they're a hobbit, they're all so human. And we see their flaws, we see their strengths, we see their relationships. But a character that I really think guides us through this movie is the score. (laughs) Howard Shore score. You you, you see that roll bend? (laughs) I mean, it really is a truly a character in this movie because it takes you on the journey. It takes you on the journey. It's so pastoral and calm and peaceful and beautiful and so bombastic and epic and sad and introspective. Uh, The beautiful thing about this score, I listened to uh, a breakdown and an interview with Howard as he was talking about about writing this and he said I didn't have a lot of time 
He said they filmed all three movies in 18 months. He said, I really didn't have a lot of time. I was on the other side of the world. I wasn't able to see dailies all the time. I wrote this while I read the books. And we cut the music into the movie, how it fit the scenes. So it really is bridging the literature, the literary heart of it to the epic visual on screen part of it. Um, and it really, I mean, that score is so iconic. I mean, it's, it's up there almost with Star Wars, Jaws and Harry Potter with me. Uh, dun, you know, when you hear that, dun, 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 you know, the, those big epic things. And then the, and then when you have Galadriel speaking, you have the, the, the slow legato lines. I mean, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the two best for, for me, the the two best pieces of music in the thing are, are the uh, is the music in Lothlorien, because um, it, it gets that when it's time for it to be happy, it's happy. But when it needs to be menacing, like he mm-hmm. he really sets the tone. And something about I think it's the drums about in in the, in the Moria music. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. it ra- it raises the intensity of that scene up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, anytime you see those orcs to the goblins, you know, uh, think think about the the aerial shot panning into Isengard after uh, yeah. Saruman has uh, made it uh, this industrial waste. You know, boom, 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 boom. You know, it's just yeah. so intense. All right, so so I guess I'll, I'll finish out best character. I, I've got to reforge the award like the uh, Blade <laughs> of Narsil, but um, then uh, that rules till it broke, baby. So now that now that award's been reforged, uh, this this was easy for me, and I'm going to be honest. Um, Gimli is my best character. I I love John Rhys Davies as an actor anyway, but to cast him as Gimli in this, he interjects such humor and heart into the dwarves, and I think that may have been something a little lacking in Jackson's Hobbit. But um, I really feel like you know I love Gimli. I've, I've I have a thing for dwarves. Okay short stocky characters that appreciate good beards so it's totally i'm totally on board with those types of characters i feel a certain kinship to those types of characters all right so uh yeah i just i I love gimli and i'll from the moment of watching this movie gimli just stood out as as one of my favorite characters so Well, speaking of bending, uh, I'm up next with best quote. Who would have thought that a movie with elvish dialogue as the very first sounds that you hear on screen would be such a hit? (laughs) Uh, There are so many great quotes in this movie, but I love the opening sections where Gladriel is speaking. And I'm going to take just a couple here. She says, the world has changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. A little bit later, she says, much that, won't work, that, once, much that once was is lost, for none now live who remember it. And some things that should not have been forgotten were lost. History became legend, and legend became myth. How the truth could be lost of such an 
epic time and an epic battle. How the world has separated from men and, and elves and dwarves is perfectly illustrated in that intro and those quotes. So those those are my favorite quotes. And I mean, you can't start this movie any other way. That just establishes what you're getting into. And the performance is just spot on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Kate Blanchett is phenomenal. So okay. Um as far as my best quote, I I went a, a little smaller and you know, th- there's such good dialogue in this, and obviously it, it's, you know, 98% Tolkien, so, I mean, it, it works pretty well. Um, but I think even though it's not in the correct spot as it is in the book, I love the exchange between Gandalf and Frodo. As Frodo is discussing wanting, you know, wishing that Bilbo had killed Gollum, and, and I wish this ring had never come to me. And, and and just when Gandalf says, all we have to decide is what to do with the time given us. I mean, it's such a subtle line, but there's just so much wisdom to that. You know, it's like it's like the serenity prayer. You know, we can only control what we can really control, you know. And so I just I love that line. So. All right. Well, you almost stole mine. Um, <laughs> you, you stole one like line. You sweating. <laughs> you stole one line out of mine. I'm, I'm going to read the whole paragraph. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I love it. the whole thing. I love the whole thing. I agree so, completely. So Frodo says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And then Gandalf, I love Gandalf's entire response. He says, So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you were also meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, love, I love that. But I did, before we move on, I just want to highlight, um, my youngest kid is a big Tolkien fan. Um, she's my buddy. I'm not allowed to watch these movies without her. Um, and so I asked her when I was putting together my notes. I said, okay, what's, what's the best quote? She goes, you don't have to think about it. You shall not pass. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so that's her base quote. I, I thought for sure somebody would put, you mean they come in pints? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, my favorite funny one is uh, when Pippin finds out that everyone doesn't know about the, the meal plan for Hobbits. Elevensies? <laughs> <laughs> B- Billy Boy Lunches. does some wonderful one-liners in these. So <laughs> he knows about them, doesn't he? Oh, don't count on it, baby. I mean, he says don't count on it. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so, Pip. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, well, our first um, episode-specific is best action scene, um, and there's a couple of really good ones. So, Sammy, what you got? All right. So, as I said before, on our best scene. Yes, that could have been the best action scene also. It easily could have been. Uh, but when I think of action, I think of something like a lot going on, right? And so I had to go with the battle in the minds of Moria with the goblins. I mean, come on. You've got a cave troll. I mean, it's so dynamic. I love Sean Bean's response. <laughs> oh, I know. Yes. Oh, they have a troll. <laughs> This is so flabbergasted. Really, they brought game troll. You what know, kind of party is this? I mean, and, and, and that's just, 
you know, to me, I, I love trolls and stuff like that. Anyway, that's straight out of Norse mythology. Uh, and I just I just love that. And the scene is so dynamic and it builds up to this big crescendo of Frodo being speared. And then we get the reveal of the Mithril. Uh, I just think it, it's such a great action scene. And, and like you said, Sam's fighting with a with a pan and you know, I mean, there's just so many awesome things going on in that. And, and then when Mary and Pippin are, are, are finally getting that courage and they jump on top of the cave troll and just, and just start stabbing him. I mean, there's so many cool things that going on, going on in that scene. So. Uh, well, if this was the book, I would have picked Boromir's death scene, but they shortchanged him a little bit in the movie. So I can't pick that one. So I'm going to piggyback off of Sam and I'm going to go a little bit broader. I'm going to do one of my quiet place. Best scenes. Okay, so from the second <laughs> idiot Pippin knocks that bucket down the well, <laughs> all the way until me and the hobbits are weeping outside of the death of Gandalf. All of that is my best action scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why did you just throw yourself in? <laughs> Why did you just throw yourself in? And I love John Reese Davies, you know, stand, you know, Leaping on top of the the coffin, let them come, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, I'm going to go with with I think a very essential scene in the movie, and uh, it's not maybe a lot of action, but there's a lot that goes on there. Is the the wraiths attack on top of Withertop? That scene is so creepy. They're up there at night, you know. They they. Uh, have the fire going. Oh no. Why did you light a fire? You know, and from that moment, and they're standing there in a circle, you know, trying to uh, defend themselves. And when Frodo puts on the ring and enters that other realm, and you see what the wraiths are and how they interact there. And uh, it's that's super intense for, to me. I love it. And you also have have the uh, ring wraith who's playing the Scooby Doo villain trying to sneak off. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's right? so weird. When, when Aragorn throw, throws the, the torch, he, he just looks like he's trying to like I'm get out of here, man. <laughs> that yeah, that is one of those little mechanical things that don't quite work. <laughs> you, you see what it is, kind of, but it's still so great to see. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, our last award is Best Fantasy Element. And um, I kind of, I mean, I kind of just left this one on there from last week. Because <laughs> I felt like, because <laughs> uh, I felt like, you know, what's, you know, this this is the fantasy story. I mean, as mm-hmm. far as what, what modern fantasy has become, it's all built off of the back of Tolkien's work. Yeah. Um, but there, there's a thing I like in the movie that the movies helped me with that the book I, I struggled with. I was never able to fully conceptualize what the uruk were and what the Belrog was. I knew it was a creature of flame and darkness, but I couldn't quite visualize it. I couldn't conceptualize what the Belrog was and what the uruk were. These were fallen elves turned into orcs, but bred with men. I mean, all this, all this stuff that went in to make uruk I couldn't quite... I couldn't quite figure it out, like what it looked like, how to picture them fighting with Boromir and all of them. I couldn't quite put it together. But the way the movie, I mean, the Urukai are, I mean, I mean, they're they're a force, you know, and they're they're you know orcs and goblins that can exist in the daylight and they're menacing and they're tough and 
and being able to see the Belrog, what a creature of flame and darkness would look like. So now when I, so I kind of reverse it, when I go back to the book and I'm reading, you know, the scenes in Mori and I see the, the chase of the Urukai and all this stuff, I can picture it now. So that, that is a fantasy element that the movie absolutely nails. Something that was difficult to, to um, conceptualize in the books, they, they solidified for me. And so I love that the movies did it for me and did it so well. We know I, my award actually kind of piggybacks on that. Um, you know, when I think of great pieces of fantasy, I think about these this array of creatures that inhabit those worlds. Um, and obviously this movie brings Tolkien's world to life. Um, the orcs, the cave troll, the Balrog, you know, just all of these fantasy species that Weta Workshop really put together and made this come to life. And, and that just, it just amazes me every time I watch it, you know, and, and, and it's not just one, there, there's differences. Not all the goblins look, asa- look the same. Not all the orcs look the same. You know, there's that, I think that it's, a, isn't it two towers? There's the cottage cheese looking orc. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> With the club yeah. hand, that's Return of the King. Yeah. Okay. But you know, there's this, like I said, there's different, there's differentiation between them, but it still works. And it's just, like I said, it's just amazing. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of along the same way of you guys. I would a little bit more specific to just the elves, how Tolkien developed the, the elven culture. And, you know, he, he wrote these books essentially to, to tell a story about the kind of, beings who would speak the two languages he developed you know at one time and you have the you know you have the more cultured rivendell elves and then you have the mirkwood elves that are kind of you know kind of more rough around the edges a little more feral uh, but you know the a lot of this is so linguistic in nature and so wordy you know he created these languages and he created these races around them uh, so it's a really neat take on how that was created, but I loved his take. I'm like, I'm with, I'm with the Samwise. I love his take on the elves. You know, I just love the elves. They're so beautiful and pure and how they coexist with nature. You know, they have their structures, they have their cities, but you know, it incorporates the world around them and they, and they live in peace and harmony and they're able to exist forever. It seems but there is a great being. Would he have portrayed an elf? Would he have been the Dark Lord himself if he would have been incarnate? Could he have been the king? His name does start with a K. It's our Keanu Reeves. Where is Keanu in Middle Earth? Now, there's a couple obvious answers here, Jamie. Don't steal my thunder. So I'm going to see where you <laughs> go with this. <laughs> okay. Do y'all remember a five minute, five, about a five minute phenomenon from the 80s called uh, Young Einstein? Yeah. Okay. Well, I was eight years old when that came out. And I think that's probably the perfect age for the Yahoo series brand of humor. Um, (laughs) so my brothers and I became kind of big fans and we watched a lot of the Yahoo serious movies. Uh, I think my dad secretly liked them too. Um, 
1993, he came out with a gem of a movie named Reckless Killing. It was a movie about a bank robber slash pop culture hero slash video store owner whose video store was on an island that only his family lived on. But don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> but said, said island was trying to be bought out by Japanese businessmen. So he goes to America to rob banks and star in movies to make money to protect his island. Um, yes, that's a real movie. Um, <laughs> but in that movie, I encountered for the very first time this week's Keanu Connection. I was probably the only person sitting in a theater in 1999 watching The Matrix when Agent Smith came on screen and went, hey, it's the guy from Brickless Kelly. <laughs> 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 so, yes, I'm going with the obvious. Hugo Weaving played Elrond in The Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> But before that, he was agents in the Matrix movies alongside our beloved Keanu. And yes, he was that guy from Breakless Kelly. You go weaving is this week's Keanu connection. <gasps> As I pick myself up off the floor from laughing, I, I love those esoteric trails. Yep. He even wears the suit and sunglasses in Reckless Kelly. <laughs> it's almost the same look. <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. That's, it's that's okay. great. <laughs> that's great. Well, next week, um, our our quest for quality pop culture takes us to our Halloween special. We're watching the late 90s, or is it early 2000s? I don't have the 1996. date. 96. Uh yeah, this feels like a ninety. Totally, I was thinking about that after our watch of uh, uh, Men in Black. It's like, oh, this is just a year before Men in Black. Yeah, I it feels right. What kind of what kind of things we're going to get here? Yeah, but we're watching Scream, and I was talking with the with my wife today, and I was like, you know, full on grown up Jamie hasn't watched Scream in a long time. I'm, I'm getting nervous now that it's not going to hold up. <laughs> but once again, I was the perfect age for this movie. I was 16 when this came out. So I was the per, I was the demographic 16-year-old dude. <laughs> yeah, you definitely were the demographic. Uh, you have uh, Drew Barrymore, Nev Campbell, um, Skeet Ulrich. Who I thought Ulrich. was going to be a thing. Yeah, he. Yeah, yeah, we all thought he was going to be popular. Uh, which, I mean, who would have thought David Arquette and yeah. Courtney Cox would be the most popular people from this movie? Um, you know, Matthew Lillard, uh, very young Rose McGowan in this movie. So, Jamie, until next time, we're going to not answer the phone as we keep it nerdy. <laughs> <laughs>